Welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the biggest stars in the world of strings. For the life of me, I cannot think of a bigger star in our world than Lindsey Sterling. From regular appearances on the biggest stages to over 3 billion, with a B, views on YouTube, she is everywhere. Right now, we're listening to one of her newest songs called Guardian. It's part of her Artemis album that we're going to talk about later in this interview. By the way, if you enjoy this podcast, please take a second to like, comment, subscribe, and share this with all your friends. That helps us a ton. We recently loaned Lindsay a Viper for what, at the time, was a top secret project. We did this interview about a month before her Christmas show came out, and we've been sitting on it so we could share some behind-the-scenes info with you. But now we can share it, as well as a really cool look into the mind of one of the most visible people in the violin community, Lindsey Sterling, rock star violinist. So for my Christmas show, I, I'm doing a filmed Christmas show this year due to, of course, COVID. And um, I wanted to do something in it that was just a wow factor that no one's ever seen before. And I, I have a love for Cirque du Soleil. And so I went to a show like a year and a half ago and I saw this form of aerial work called hair hanging. And it's where they actually put a ring into their hair in a bun on their head. And then um, they do aerial work by hanging from their hair, solely from their scalp. And I just remember being so excited when I saw it. And I was like, oh my gosh, they don't need their arms to hold themselves or maneuver or lift. It all relies on body control and their hair. And so of course my wheels started spinning. Here we are a year and a half later, I've been training and, um, I want to hair hang while playing the violin, but you know, you can't have your head has to be straight. You can't use your neck to support sure. the violin. So uh, that's why I was like, well, I got to get me a Viper, you know? <laughs> no doubt. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, it's hanging um, by your hair. Just tell me that hurts. It is uh, the most, it's the most painful thing I've ever done for sure. And it doesn't actually get easier. That's what shocked me is like, I now I've done it, you know, I've been doing it for a month and a half. And every time I go in, it's just as it's just as like surprising and shocking as the first time I did it. It's just like, oh, wow. I have to breathe through it. I have to remember that I've done it before. This isn't impossible. I can do this. And it's a real mental game to play every time I hook into that line. It's just like, I could do this. But um, it's, wow. been a, it's been a really powerful process to go through something that's so mind over matter kind of a thing. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. So your hair is long you enough. Know, you could do it. That's right. We could do this. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have the guts. I weigh like 200 pounds. That's not going to be good. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, that's uh, why I really appreciate you guys working with me to get me this. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah, of course it's going to make it so work. Does the pain just help you focus? Like you have to have a laser focus on, on what you're doing then? Yeah. You, well, <clears throat> I'm really glad I've done meditation before because I feel like that kind of helps me through it. Like when you first feel that really intense pain, you just have to breathe and you have to remind yourself that the pain can't get any worse. And, you know, like I'm feeling this pain. It's not going to go away. And it's like been this kind of powerful metaphor for life in the fact that 
we can learn to find beauty even in pain because once you start going and start moving, you not like the pain goes numb, but you do become accustomed to it and you start to breathe. And then you realize like I start to float and all of a sudden I'm doing these things that feel beautiful and feel, um, you know, powerful. And that is the only thing that gets me through it is breathing and reminding myself what I'm accomplishing or what I'm doing. And it's, yeah, reminds me like I've been through some, we've all been through really painful times in life. Life is sometimes really hard. And yet some of the hardest things I've been through, I've been able to find really beautiful moments of perhaps even you could call it joy and gratitude through the pain. So this is like a reminder of that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So did you write something specifically for this then? Uh, no, I'm actually doing Crystallize, which is the song oh. I feel like yeah. I'm most known for. And um, I'm doing a different arrangement of it, though, that feels kind of Christmassy, so it fits into the Christmas show. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I've read your book, and I was actually oh. flipping through it last night to, to just remind me of a couple things. It's a fantastic book. Thank you so much. You should be really proud of that. Like, well, you've got an amazing you. story, but your personality just really just shines through that. Well, you know, I am so lucky that I co-wrote it with my sister because she is such a good writer and she can verbalize through written words so well. And she knows me better than anybody. And so it was really fun. I'm so grateful that she was able to like capture my voice like nobody else could if, unless it was me or my sister. So it was fun to write and I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I would be terrified to let my sister write a book about me. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's all, all the windows are open. That's right. <laughs> um, so talking about crystallize, I love the story where you talked about and maybe tell people if they don't know the story that you had just started working with a videographer. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. this is what maybe the second video that you guys did together. Yeah, it was like this, maybe the third or fourth. So it was somewhere in the early days. And just found this guy with a location, the Ice Palace. Yes. And you've got a song, you're like, well, you know, I wrote this thing. I don't know if I like it. My backup is Canon in D. Seriously? Right. <laughs> I know. I know. To think I almost, yeah, ruined the biggest break of my life with <laughs> doing Canon in D instead. <laughs> so, yeah, if people don't know that story, yeah. maybe tell a little bit of the story about that whole thing. For sure. Yeah. I um, Back in the day when I was first writing my own music, the way I would write is I had a producer I had started to work with and we would work together to create these songs, but I would pay him before we'd even start writing the song. And I was at the time like a college student and all the extra money I made from playing weddings and bar mitzvahs and whatever I could get, all of that money went to paying to try to create more music. And I remember crystallized was so frustrating because I had already paid for it and I couldn't afford to throw it away. And I say that because I was so frustrated with the song. I couldn't find the melody in it. I couldn't find, you know, it just, I couldn't make it sing for the longest time. And it took, I kept throwing it in the trash mentally and then pulling it back out and being like, no, I can't afford to throw this song away um, because I need a new song and I can't afford to make another one. And so I kept pulling it out of the trash of my mind. And finally I found my melody to it and I just really wasn't quite sold on it yet. And I was like, well, you know, so I found that amazing location 
and to this day, that's kind of, I still try to do a lot of um, my own location scouting. I'm just really involved in the video process. And the it, to me, it's so connected to the music is the visual that the music inspires. And when I found that beautiful location, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to film here. Do I use it for this song that I'm not sure about? Because it's such a special location. And so, yeah, I almost did canon in d and my boyfriend even recommended it he's like this is such a stunning location if you're not in love with the song like you should do something that you think people will love and you know there's that inner gut though you can't go wrong with trusting your gut and my gut told me like no use an original song at this location so i did crystallize i was terrified that no one would like that song of course that's the song that changed my life yeah like what did you say over a million views in the first day Yes. And I know that nowadays that's, I mean, still that's great nowadays, but back in like 2000, this was 2012, I think that was even more views back then. Cause there weren't as many people on YouTube right. and it wasn't, the algorithm wasn't set up the way it is now. So I remember I was just, I thought there must've been a mistake or a glitch. I called my sister and was like, log into your computer, look at YouTube. What does the number say? I was so just how this is impossible but it was so exciting and in that moment i remember being like oh i think my life just changed and for sure it had yeah that's really awesome and it, it takes a lot of guts to put yourself out there with something that you've written especially something that you like personally are not 100 percent sure of you know yeah and again it's like it was crystallized was very different than anything else i'd written previously and i think sometimes different for anyone is scary it's like this is not comfortable yet I'm not sure about this well my fans that are used to you know that stuff well they like it and um but yeah you know it just kind of taught me these valuable lessons of just you know sometimes stretching yourself and trying new things maybe that's exactly what you need and um also that again just trusting in your gut of no I should keep pulling this song out of the trash there's something here um and anyways it's just always funny because um, we never know what's going to change everything for us. No one does. You never know when your big great break is going to come. And a lot of times it comes right at that point when you're like, I don't know how much longer I can go on doing this, you know? And then that's when your crystallized moment happens. There's roughly a 100% chance that you've heard this song and seen the video. It has nearly a quarter of a billion views. But we just talked about it, so here's Crystallize.
So speaking of, that's been about eight years now, I guess. Mm. And so yeah. you have continued to innovate and sort of update your your look and your sound and all the things you do. How, how do you sort of balance, like you were saying before, I want to keep serving up things that my fan base is going to like, but I feel like I also need to grow and change as an artist. How do you balance that? That is such a hard balance. And there's, I mean, I feel like no matter what you do, I've learned that people are going to say their opinion about it. You know, like I remember <laughs> when I did my last album, I um, made a very specific choice personally that I wanted to kind of go back to the Lindsay that wrote her first album and I wanted to write it from that mindset. So with that being said, my last album wasn't like a groundbreaking new venture. It wasn't like, oh, this is a new sound. But I decided I wanted to kind of go back to my roots a little bit and dive in. Some fans loved it. Some fans were like, I was a little disappointed. It sounded just like kind of like Lindsay hadn't progressed. And so there's that fine line between, am I going to push the boundaries? Like my album Brave Enough, I felt like I really pushed the boundaries. And I think that's why the next album I wanted to bring it back. And, you know, because, but no matter what you do, someone's going to say you didn't push the boundaries enough or someone's going to oh, say buddy. you changed too much. And so I think the balance just comes from what do I need? What do I as an artist want? And sometimes the answer is I'm bored and I need to challenge myself and I need to try something new. Sometimes the answer is I want to be just so me and authentic to like my core and what I want, you know, and so it just really depends on like what your need as an artist is. And I think relying on that is going to give you longevity in a career versus like, you know, because you can only go against what you want to do as an artist for so long before it goes, you know, it tears you up. So I think it's that balance that only you can say and reminding yourself that somebody's always going to think you did it wrong. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Cer certainly uh, criticism is something that you've uh, gotten used to. For sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten my it fair dose for sure. I mean, everybody sort of knows about the the America's Got Talent story, mm -hmm. and that was that was a brutal day. Yeah. And so so talk about like after that, like you said, you didn't play for a little while after that, and I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, when I yeah when I went on America's Got Talent, I remember um, I was so tired of doing open mic nights and these thankless gigs that I had been doing and, you know, weddings and just, I wanted so badly to play in front of a crowd and to do my own music, you know, just that starving artist that was like, this is really hard and a lonely road and unfulfilling. And then I tried out for America's Got Talent and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be my big break. And I think that hype up to it is what made it so devastating when then after making it through several rounds and, you know, thinking that they really feed into you that like, this is the biggest moment of your life. This is your make or break. This is everything. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. You know, you believe what you're fed so often. And so that made it even all the more devastating when I got not only kicked off the show, but I was, I was so embarrassed. Um, you know, I was told in front of millions of people by these judges that I sounded like a bunch of rats being strangled. I got X'd. I was told that I didn't have what it took, you know, to make it like, like my little artist heart got broken in that moment. And I was 
humiliated because, you know, everyone I knew was watching and I felt like right. everybody I knew and didn't know just watched me fail. And so, yeah, I didn't pick up my violin for a little bit after that. I was just so like, it just haunted me almost. And I was like, I don't know if I ever want to do this anymore. I don't know if I have what it takes to want to continue. But then again, you cannot ever go wrong if you trust your gut. And I think it's a combination of, you know, instinct, but also I'm a real faith oriented person. And I believe that we have angels and guardians that are like trying to help us along the way to help, like guide us and lead us. And so I think a combination of just my own intuition, but also my, my heavenly father and my angels being like, no, 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 you're not done yet. Like take a break. Yeah. Do what you need, but you have more to do. And that little nagging wouldn't go away. And if I had ignored it, I guarantee it would have. And then I might have always lived with a what if. But um, I picked up my violin. I went back. I started doing my open mic nights again. And then shortly thereafter is when I discovered YouTube. And everything changed for me. And again, sometimes it's really like I'm reading this amazing book right now that I think everybody should read. It's called uh, Think and Grow Rich. And it's not all about money. Like it makes it sound like it's a money book, but it's about intention and about thinking and making the life you want through your own beliefs. And mm. anyways, it's just such a powerful idea. And I believe it a hundred percent that we create the life that we imagine and that we believe we can have. And if you're brave enough to ask the world for it and then perseverant enough to fight through the hardship and the falls, you will get it. And I believe that 100% because I feel like that's over and over again been the story of my life. Yeah, that's, man, it just, it takes, again, it takes a lot of guts to, to after you've been through a really horrible experience like that to go, no, this, this thing is still inside me and I can't, yeah. I can't ignore it. Absolutely. So. You know, and I always share that that wasn't the first time I failed. It was the most public you know, I'd had humiliating experience. I mean, I'm a dancing violinist. You got to believe I had had super awkward, embarrassing moments prior to that as I was learning my craft and trying to find the right place for it. Um, and then I had really devastating experiences since then. Like, to be honest, even once I like made it, I've still had, you know, and that's part, I think, of challenging yourself is if you're still receiving disappointments and if you're still sometimes thinking, well, that didn't work out. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going forward. That means I'm still challenging myself. That means I'm still going for it, you know, because when you start to coast, that's, that's when, and that's, there's nothing wrong with coasting, but that's when you're not really challenging yourself anymore. If you're not ever facing any disappointments anymore. Well, that's the thing as an artist, everybody loves the artist who takes risks, right? Mm -hmm, but absolutely. what's a risk, but, but hanging yourself out there with the possibility and sometimes the likelihood that you're going to fail and fail big. A hundred percent. I love Brene Brown. She's another, she's an amazing author and she has a book called Daring Greatly. And she talks about that if you go big, if you go for your dreams, it's not a matter of if I fail, it's a matter of when, because if you really go for it, She's like, you are going to fall down. You are going to feel like a failure along the way here or there. But that is the road to greatness. That is the only way to achieve your dreams. And so when we all find ourselves feeling like we're at the bottom and we just fell down a huge hill, you're in the company of the greatest 
people of all time who, you know, you always love hearing the stories about these amazing people who fell and became the underdog and then rose. Like when you're at the bottom, you're in the company of greatness because that's where every great person ended up once, twice, or a hundred times. Um, and I love a quote that says, opportunity oftentimes sneaks in the back door disguised as failure. And sometimes mm. those failures are the very thing that lead to like the very push you needed or the very opportunity or the mindset or the beginning of the actual road you were supposed to go on. Like America's Got Talent, the failure, quote unquote failure I experienced there was the best thing that could have happened to me for multiple reasons. Um, one of which was... You know, if if I had won that show, I would have been locked into a very specific contract that never would have let me have a YouTube channel or my own like creative control. And secondly, when I f first put out my uh, original album, my first album, the only reason I got any press opportunities because people are like, "Oh, a violinist that put out an album? Like, no thanks. We don't really want to interview her." Wait, wait, she was on America's Got Talent, and they kicked her off, and they told her what? <gasps> That's a story. We would, we would love to interview her. People just wanted to hear the underdog story about the girl that was, you know, <laughs> told she would never make it, but then proved them wrong or whatever. Like they wanted to spin it as, but that very failure was actually the best kickstart to my career. And so, yeah, I believe in that quote 100% that opportunity is sometimes just disguised as failure, sneaking in the back door. Lindsay had a song on the soundtrack of the 2016 Disney movie, Pete's Dragon. This is something wild. But while we're listening for a minute, we want to get in a few words about our sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. EVS is the only shop in this hemisphere that deals exclusively in electric bowed strings. Electric Violin Shop supplies Lindsay with instruments from time to time, as well as a number of other big stars like Brian King Joseph, Tyler Butler Figueroa, Black Violin, Taylor Davis, and many others. They carry electric violins from over 20 different manufacturers around the world, as well as bows, amps, and effects. The Electric Violin Shop YouTube channel is a huge repository of all things electric strings, from instrument reviews to celebrity performances and all types of instructional videos. They do a weekly instructional live stream on the EVS Facebook page, and on Instagram, you can join over 26,000 people who enjoy daily pics and videos of all things electric strings. Visit electricviolinshop.com to see all the amazing violins, violas, cellos, basses, amps, and effects that they carry. EVS ships to over 90 countries around the world and for free to the lower 48 states in the U.S. electricviolinshop.com. Now, a bit of Something Wild sung by Andrew McMahon. Where the 
and you you kicked the door wide open for a lot of other people. Brian King Joseph's a good friend of mine, and you got to perform with him on that very stage just, what, a year or two ago? Yeah. Oh, he's so great. I love Brian, and it was a... Uh, it was so cool to get to go back to the stage of America's Got Talent, but this time as like, <laughs> what do? this time as more of a mentor, you know, to like help someone else on their journey and, you know, just encourage him and, you know, give him the advice that I wish someone had given me and to watch him just kill it. It was really cool. Well, definitely for all of us electric violinists in the world, you have you have really been a, a trailblazer as far as getting the instrument out there and getting it accepted, I guess, as a legitimate thing. It's always been a legitimate instrument. And right. of course, there's been people playing it since the, the 1930s, really. But pop culture in America has such a short memory. Right. And 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 you have you've really kicked the door open for a lot of people. So you know, I can just say thank you for all the people who've you, who you've inspired to play, the millions of girls who now play the violin who wouldn't have played the violin had they not seen a Lindsey Sterling video. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I just, um, I, I know there were trailblazers before me. And like you said, everybody's got this like very short attention span memory, but I'm like, you know, people have inspired me so much. I remember the group Bond, you know, do you mm -hmm. remember them? Yeah, um, for sure. I remember my mom bought me their DVD of like their live in London performance when I was like 13. And I was just like, oh, wow, these women make the violin look so cool and posh and whoa, like they're having fun and they're, you know, they're walking around the stage. And so I just feel like David Garrett as well, playing like mm -hmm. rock violin with symphonies and he's a virtuoso. So I just... I feel like we all have our own moment to like place a little stamp because definitely people inspired me. And so now the fact that, yeah, maybe some young girl or young kid sees my videos and then thinks I can do something creative or fun or this can, this can fit me as well um, is really exciting to me. Yeah, that's really awesome. I do, I do want to take it back. It's the Rockstar Violinist Podcast. So we're going to talk about violin quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, you started playing as a little kid and taking lessons. Yep. Um, taking half lessons, right? That was yes. the thing that, you know, mom and dad weren't exactly rolling in dough. So it was like, we're going we're gonna to take a half a lesson each week. Yes. Well, and my parents were so, so encouraging of us to chase talents and to pursue, you know, dreams and skills. And yet they had nothing. Like my dad was a freelance writer when I was a kid in, you know, the economic slump in Los Angeles. Like we were just trying to make it paycheck to paycheck, hoping he'd get a next writing gig. I was six. I didn't know this. But, um, you know, when I started begging for violin lessons, my parents found a way they found a teacher who was willing to teach me for 15 minutes a week. And she was a college student, so she gave him a low rate. Like, you know, I just, I just re my parents were so resourceful in making sure that their daughters always had opportunity. And I'll be forever grateful for what was a really big sacrifice for them to, like, get me to those lessons and, you know, pay for them and find a violin, like all of those things. Yeah, that's awesome. So you started playing, and I guess I remember reading the story about the Junior Miss Pageant was maybe the first time that you, you really said, maybe this is the playing, dancing, performing thing is, is, is going to be a thing, right? Yeah, well, it was funny. I was um, basically trying to earn money for college, 
And I found out about this scholarship program that uh, was a pageant. It's called, I think it, they still do it. It has a, the name Distinguished Young Women now, but it was Junior Miss when I did it. And, you know, you have to wear the pageant dress. You have to answer the question, all that stuff. But I remember thinking, I bet I could actually do pretty good in this because I, you know, I... I can be refined. I can do a talent. There was a fitness routine. They looked at your grades. I was like, I, I could do this. But I remember when we were prepping for it, I saw some of these other girls and they were dancing and they were doing these cool, like more fun talents. And then there was a lot of violinists. And I was like, how am I going to stand out? Because we're all about the same caliber of violinists. It just depended on what concerto they liked better than that night, the judges. And so I remember talking to my mom one night and I was like, you know, I can't think of how to stand out from them. And also, I wish my talent could be fun. You know, the violin's not exactly considered the funnest talent. And she was like, well, why don't you make it fun? Why don't you move around and, you know, jump around like the dancers? Because I was saying how fun they are. And it, I just was like, yeah, right, Mom. Just jump around and play the violin. Yeah. And then I thought about it. And I was like, why can't I do that? Yeah, why, why, couldn't, why couldn't I make it fun? It just hadn't ever quite clicked for me. And then I kind of thought of those Bond videos and how David Garrett made the violin his own. And I just thought, yeah, I can make it my own. And to this point, I, I was never a natural mover. I wasn't even a dancer at all. Like I never had learned to dance. Um, but I thought to myself, I, I can choreograph movement. And it, so it was so simple, but I like jumped here and I like walked here and I kicked my foot here and it was more just like choreographed almost very quirky humorous movement and I wrote a little rock song to go along with it and completely like put my concerto music in the folder I was like we're gonna play a rock song and I wrote a rock song and um I remember being again kind of like the crystallized thing I was like people might hate this. This could go over so embarrassingly bad if it doesn't work. Like if people aren't into it and if I'm like playing the violin with my high socks and spiky hair and then they're, they're just kind of like, I was like, this could be so awkward. But again, I took that risk. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I went for it. I trusted that gut. And I remember after I finished my performance, the first time I ever did this, I just felt so electrified inside and I had so much fun doing it and the audience loved it and they were smiling. I'd never seen that kind of a reaction to a concerto. Like I would, they, I would see right. appreciation and like, you know, wow, that was beautiful. But to like feel like I fully entertained in a Lindsay style, like me, um, that was the first time I'd ever felt that. And I ended up winning the pageants, the city, the state. I went all the way to the national and I won the talent at the national junior miss pageant. Um, you know, and so I remember thinking, this is a thing. I got to figure out how to make this a big part of my life. Cause one, that was awesome. And two, people actually liked it. <laughs> Believe it or not, there is film of that performance. Here's her tune, violin rock performed live at the junior miss pageant.
So I'm reminded of the quote as you're saying that. It's a, it's a quote by Howard Aiken. And, and he said something like, don't worry about people stealing your ideas. If they're truly original, you're going to have to ram it down their throats. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I love that. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's like this is this is a thing that nobody has. I mean, I, I guess like Celtic, there's been a thing in Celtic music where there's dancing and playing. And, and yes. I don't know if, if you were aware of that when you were doing this. Yeah, I remember like Marie Nesbitt. She like kind of pixied around while she played and um and I kind of discovered that more once I started to do it. And I was like, oh, she kind of does that too in a very, like her own style. And so it's, yeah, it's been fun to see that there are so many different ways to be creative. And again, like you said, if you kind of, I remember having to really kind of ram this down people's throats when I first was searching for a manager or when I first started, I was trying to find a record label. And I would send them little DVDs that I'd filmed in my house of me like dancing and playing and no one could catch the vision of it. And so finally I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just going to start. And, you know, to this day, I'm still an independent artist. And it was like once all those record labels showed up and we're like, we would love to sign you and all of this, I kind of was already touring the world. And I was like, I've already proven it. And I did all the hard work. So, right no thanks. Like I'm good yeah. actually. What are you going to do for me that I haven't already done for myself? Yeah. It's like I, I did the hard work that most people, that's when you need a label is to like whoosh, launch it. So anyways, it turned out to be again, a great thing that now I'm still an independent artist. I do it on my own terms, my own way. I don't have, you know, I have hundred percent creative control and you know, now that's the only way I could even imagine trying to do something like this. Well, I think YouTube sort of democratized things, right? Because before you had to have a label to get on the radio. Right. The whole payola thing and, you know, supposedly illegal, but we both know better. <laughs> right. And it's, it's like YouTube really did democratize saying that it, it allowed people to bypass the guys in the suits that sit behind the desk who decide what people are going to like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that was, that was really a, a, a game changer. Right. Well, you know, now I think artists can be so encouraged that there's so many ways now to get discovered. You know, there's the YouTubes, there's the Instagram, and now there's um, TikTok, which is huge mm -hmm. for people being, you know, so there's like all these avenues. And if you feel like you missed the wave on one, it's like, oh, now it's oversaturated. Well, guess what? There's going to be another one next year. Just wait yeah, for the exactly. next wave. You know, join the one that's there now, do your best on it, and then wait for the next wave and try to keep your finger on the pulse for what's happening. Cause there's countless ways to, like you said, kind of just bypass the suits. Yeah. So you, I guess you, you said in that first tune that you did for the junior miss thing, there wasn't like a high level choreography thing. Obviously you've progressed past some very basic kicks and turns. Mm -hmm. How did that whole thing happen? It happened, um, little by little, just challenging myself more and more and more and pushing the envelope. And then, you know, at first start out where I would just choreograph movement to all my songs. And I, they were exactly the same every time. And it was like, step here, turn there, wink there, you know, and then it started to turn into like, well, I bet I could do a double turn. I've learned how to do one. Do you think I could do two? Um, oh, I noticed dancers point their foot like that. Okay. I need to work on my flexibility so I can do that. You know, so it just became more and more elegant the more I worked on it. And then, of course, I started working with choreographers. And then um, I really got a full dose of dance when I did Dancing with the Stars. But that was the first time I had ever done, like, formal dance training. 
Um, and it definitely upped my game. Hold on, let me. Luna, <laughs> sorry, okay. Luna. So we had to take a little break. Her dog was barking, and then my dog decided maybe he wanted to join in. So, uh, all right, back to the interview. So I guess the dancing very much like playing the violin. It's nobody picks up the violin and just you know becomes Rachel Barton Pine. It it takes it takes a long time of very incremental progress that can seem pretty slow in the moment. Absolutely. It's just been years of training, you know, training at first to start out just me by myself and I've slowly gotten better and better. And, um, you know, and now I'm up to like, okay, I'm ready to try some aerial work. You know, it's like just constantly trying to evolve little by little, step by step. And it, it just, one, it keeps me excited about it. And I think it keeps my fans just kind of always guessing what's she going to do next. That's the hope. Yeah. Well, and always trying to raise the bar for yourself too, right? Right. Well, especially I'm starting to see some other kids come up and dance and play the violin. I'm like, oh, shoot, the kids are catching up and they started a lot younger than me. So I got, okay, what's next? <laughs> right. So the skill set that you have to have to do what you do, you, you have to be able to do so many different things. Uh, YouTube, the, the whole filmmaking business is is part of it. And you started that maybe what in high school when you got your first camera and some editing software? I did. I loved, um, oh gosh, I just fell in love with video work and production when I was in high school. I took like a new media class and, um, and then, yeah, I got my hands on some early editing software, Rex edit. I don't know where my dad got it. I've never heard of it since. Um, <laughs> but I remember my friends and I would make these what we thought were very elaborate music videos back in high school. And I'd edit them together and we would hang sheets and make sets. And, um, you know, I, we loved doing these. And now it's, it's so funny because I look at them and any high school, you know, any two-year-old could probably make those nowadays with the technology. But I'm like, back in the day, those were pristine pieces of art. Like, um, but yeah, that's where my love for video work began. And then I ended up studying film in college for two years. And, um, and now I, I concept all my music videos. I, um, I make all the like vision boards for them of the color palettes. I do a lot of the location scouting. I edit them and, um, co-direct them. So, I mean, it's not cause I, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't think I'm a control freak, but I, I think it's mostly just that I, I love it. I've been doing that since I was in high school. And that's part of the art to me is connecting the song to the music, connecting the song to the live show. Because also, same with that, I'm so involved with my live shows. Everything from picking the costumes or designing the costumes to helping design the sets and the colors for each song and the light. Like, I'm just very involved. And I, I really think it's just I love the creative process from start to finish. And to be able to see a song concepted in the studio in a melody form and then to be on stage performing it in a way that works for me, like this is how the song looks in my mind and now I'm performing it for you, it makes it all connect. And I think that's the way that I feel the most authentic when I get on set of a music video or when I step on stage to perform. It's like this is, this is the truest form of the song for me. Yeah, well, it's, it goes back a long way, right? Music being a fully immersive, multi-sensory, experiential type thing. You go back, I mean, even as far as opera, mm -hmm. where there were visuals and there were, there were singing and music and sets and costumes and the whole thing. Like, we don't want to just experience music with our ears. We want to experience it like this fully multi-sensory yeah. thing, right? Absolutely. I totally agree. 
I think that's when it comes alive and it's like it takes on a new life when it gets there. And I, I sometimes joke that it's like when I'm writing a song, it's kind of like a first date with the song. I'm deciding if I want to pursue it anymore. And then once you realize you like the song, it's like you're starting a relationship. And then once I, you know, it's like all these different levels. Once I make a video for it, I really start to fall in love with the song and the, you know, even more. And then when I take it on tour, we're, we're married at that point, you know. <laughs> we have kids. That's right. And, all, but this the, song's cool if you play another song later, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tune called Underground from Artemis. So how has quarantine been for you? I know that you spent a lot of time and energy touring. Like pre-plague, there was a lot of touring. I was in the same boat and it's like, wow, I'm home a lot now. Oh, I know. It's I've never been home so much. And, you know, the first, oh gosh, three and a half months of the quarantine, I flew out to be with my sister. I realized that LA was going to lock down and I was like, well, I don't want to just be here by myself. So I flew out and I was with my sister and her kids and her family. And it was actually such a beautiful experience to get to spend like quality, quality time with family, like undivided time for three and a half months. And my mom came out with us as well. And, um, you know, it's a time I'll always be really grateful for because we as touring artists, we don't get to do that as much. So it was a very special time. And now that I'm, you know, back kind of life is slowly picking up in a very you know, new way, a new normal. Um, but I, I've realized how important it is for my mental health to stay creative. And so that's why I decided like one for my fans and for myself. And also I really wanted to employ my crew that I had, you know, we were supposed Mm. to tour the whole, like at least six months this year. And so I, 
have been planning and creating this Christmas show that we're going to film and tape. And, um, you know, my dancers and I, we're going to start rehearsal soon. The crew is building the set, you know, so it was exciting to me for multifaceted reasons to give everybody a chance to be creative again. And um, also, I think come Christmas, uh, everybody's going to want something to lift their spirits, you know, um, especially if this gets worse. Hopefully it doesn't. But um, so I, I, you know, that's kind of how I'm dealing with quarantine is, well, how can I lift in my little corner of the world? Because if we all lift where we stand, we're going to be right. okay. So my corner, I'm just trying my best to stay creative and take care of my people. Yeah. You've got a podcast too, right? I was listening to your interview with Johnny Resnick. I was working out in the gym today and I was like, oh. I want to listen to this. So I listened to your interview with him and you use that same line that, that, you know, lift where you stand. Yes. Yes. Oh, he was great. I loved that. <laughs> I loved your rendition of Iris with him at the end. Like oh, I've always loved that tune and you just, you served it up. You really did. You just, everything you did was like so musical and so appropriate to the song. Thank you. Well, it was so cool to be able to work with him on like such an iconic song. Like, you know, I'm like, oh man, I have many memories. I remember going to their show and to be able to then play with him was really cool. And I think that's always so fun as an artist is when you get to work with people that you're like, oh, you know, I never would have imagined that I would get to work with Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls or Amy Lee from Evanescence, mm. you know, like she's so iconic and shaped my music so much when I, especially when I was starting. And so, you know, it's, it's always really amazing when you get to work with people that you're like, I idolize you now, but also I, you know, in my formative years, like you were important in my life. So, you know, it was really fun to do those podcasts. Yeah. So how do you approach a song like that? That's sort of like this iconic song now. And you go, well, I want to put my spin on it, but I don't want to like, I don't want to crap on this song either. Right. Yeah. So don't want to change yeah, it how do you much. approach that? You know, I just, um, I'm like such an improv improvisational writer. And so I'll just like jam to it until I feel, you know, I'll play it over and over again until I feel like I've found melodies that repeat, you know, like as I'm playing, sometimes it's noodling, 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 and then I'll play something that I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then... Mm -hmm. I remember it. And so I'm like, okay, you know, so I know I wait till the melodies just like start to stick themselves in there after I've noodled for a while. And, um, but yeah, it's always that balance of like, oh gosh, I don't want to overplay. Like, I don't want to do too much, you know, but, um, right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause it's a similar process to what I use on something like that. I'll just, mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit here and jack with this thing until yeah. something kind of starts to stick. Right. So yeah, those, the melodies, the good ones are sticky. So like you said, they'll yep. start to like stick or they stick it out in your mind. You're like, oh, that was nice. Um, and yeah, that's my, I love that when you just get to like noodle around to something until it feels right. Here is that tune, Iris, with Lindsay and Johnny Resnick. And I'd give up forever to touch you Cause I know that you feel me somehow you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be And I don't want to go home right now Cause all I can taste is this moment And all I can breathe is your life When sooner or later it's over I just don't want to miss you and I don't want the world to see me 
It ain't coming For the moment of truth in your lies so when everything feels like the movies Yeah, you bleed just to know you're alive And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think that they'd understand Where everything's to be broken I just want you So I do want to talk about your comic book. Oh, yes. I've had a lot of fun working on this. And it's it's funny. At first, when I started the pro- process, it was all because I was writing the Artemis album, which was my most recent album. And I wanted it to have a concept. And I decided to call it Artemis. And as I started to research more, I loved the story of the goddess of the moon and just the symbolism that represented to me personally. And before I knew it, I had started to like really characterize this Artemis that the album was about. And then I was like, she's an actual character to me now. And then I was like, kind of deep digging into mythology. And I'm like, this is a deeper story than just a concept album. I need to I need to write a story for this. And so the comic book was born and I decided to um, make a six issue series comic book. And I had no idea how much work that would entail when I set off on the journey. I was like, I bet I can get this done by the time the album's written, you know? Oh my gosh, a year later, here we are. Um, Three issues are out. The whole story is now done and it's scripted, but now we're just working on rolling out the art because we didn't want to, like for at least... um, the writing process of a story, I didn't realize how often you'll get to the end and then realize, well, now we have to go back and fix the beginning. And now mm-hmm. this doesn't make sense in the middle. So if we want this, we have to cut that. Like, So we couldn't start the art until the whole story was done. So, But I am so proud of it. I'm really, really proud of the story, the depth, the characters, the symbolism. Like we built a whole new 
like world with its own culture and its own like political structure. So it's, it was very, um, in depth to like build a new world. And it was just a lot of fun. And it made writing this album feel fresh because this was my fifth studio album. And it's always like, how do I make this one feel like exciting? The same way the first one was like, oh, I'm writing an album, you know? Um, and I think feeling like I was composing characters stories made it new and it's also made the music videos so fun to do because mm. you know they're all based on a story and like repeating characters and like giving my fans little sneak peeks of like you know and they'll be guessing like oh I bet that's Orion that must be her love interest or you know and um having friends play the characters in the music videos like Derek Huff played the you know her love interest and we did this waltz in the forest like it was it's just been so fun and made it feel really fresh for me yeah the to the uh to the light goes out video oh is so good thank you that was so much work and so stressful to you know be on set we had one day to get that entire thing and that involved learning stunt choreography and you know dancing in rock circles and fighting like but it was so fun to do and um so rewarding because i was so happy with how it all came together yeah, well, the fact it sort of ties in with that whole experiential thing is that there's there's music and there's dancing and there's choreography and there's characters mm -hmm. and now there's a comic book and there's like this whole whole big thing. It's not just well, I want to put out a song. It's, yeah, it's a it's a whole like universe that has to be like I think if people truly want to experience it, it forces them to dig a lot deeper. And then of course when when they do, then the music means a lot more, right? Absolutely. It kind of puts people a little bit into the head of artists because a lot of times artists have a lot of depth underneath what our song, you know, this surface level piece that you get to see, but there's so much depth below it. And, all, and that a good song, people feel the depth, but they don't always understand what the depth is, even though they feel it. And that can be beautiful too, but it's been fun to kind of let people see the depth of these and what they mean to me personally. And, you know, and it was also just fun. Like when I wrote till the light goes out, I was like, I want this to feel like an epic battle, you know, cause I knew I wanted, I needed that song in the album for the story. And anyways, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And of course the challenge too, is that there are going to be people who consume this on Spotify or whatever, who don't have the book, of course. who don't see the video, who don't know the story behind it. And the song has to stand on its own even apart from all that. Right. No, for sure. It's like you have to make sure that some random person could happen upon it on Spotify and that, you know, hopefully they'll like it. Also, that some random person will see the video and they'll have no idea the story. So each video has to be a piece that can stand on its own, even if you have no idea that there's a furthering of the story or that there's background behind it, you know? And so that's been part of the fun, the challenge, and also the, oh, dang it, of the project is you wish everybody got the full scope. But at the same time, you got to be grateful that some people are going to just get bites of it and hopefully it can stand alone. We just talked about the video shoot for Till the Light Goes Out. So here's some of the song.
So again, us being the Rockstar Violinist podcast, I want to talk about your violins. Oh, um, yeah. You're one of those people who is a little unusual in that you seem to bounce back and forth pretty regularly between acoustic and electric. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us sort of pick one or the other. I'm pretty much a 99.9% electric guy. Uh-huh. So maybe talk about what it is about the two separate instruments and maybe like how they're similar and how they're different, why I might pick one up versus the other. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, the first time I picked up an electric, it was because I had joined a band and my mom was so frustrated that she'd come to our shows and she could never hear me. <laughs> I was up against a little microphone playing my little wooden violin and she was like, that that's the it. Worst. Yeah, she's like, that's it. I cannot hear my daughter up there. We're going to go find you something that we can hear. I did not pay for it, you know, because she could tell I was so happy to be up there. But she's like, I can't hear a darn thing you're playing. So that was the first time. And the electric violin is just so great for being amplified with no feedback, you know. Mm. And um, and I also, in you know, now, years later, after playing with so many electric violins and acoustic, I love the electric violins because not only are they, they make a really specific, a little bit, um, uh, almost a cleaner sound, a very, like, clean, straight sound, but mm-hmm. also I love that you can, I treat them almost like costumes, and I love costumes, mm. and I love that you can have different shapes, or I can bedazzle them, and I could come out in an all-white dress and an all-white violin, and, you know, I mean, I made one for my most recent video into a crossbow, so it's a yeah. crossbow, it looks like a weapon, you know, and that's that is so, so cool. fun to get to just play with violins, not only as instruments, but as if they're like part of the costume and they're part of the story or they're part of the show like ambiance so i love that but then also sometimes especially when i go into like songs that are a little more sweet or a little more um like whenever i do an acoustic moment of the show you know where we like sit down and i play for a moment um i like it to feel a little more raw and so that's why i'll pull out my wooden violin because there is just a different sound that the wood gives so Mm um i think they both have such a fun place and uh you know that's why i kind of like to bounce back and forth between them and they all have names and you know depending on their look or and and that is also fun for me as well (laughs) yeah and i know you have a fantastic relationship with yamaha right I do. Yamaha's been so good to me through the years. I play a lot of their, you know, I started off with their silent violin and I've just been mm. kind of moving, like growing with them ever since. Yeah. So uh, what kind of, do you mess with effects a whole lot or are you mostly playing with a, a pretty clean sound is what I remember hearing? Yeah, mostly pretty clean. Occasionally I'll do, um, I'll do some distortion. I mean, a lot of reverb, but honestly, I haven't gotten too crazy with, like, I always love it when I see someone up there that's got their big pedal board and they're like looping and putting all these flanges and, you know, cool effects on them. I think that in itself is a whole nother art that, um, to be honest, I haven't really dove into, you know, and um, I, I love it when I see people do that because that's, like I said, that is a skill and it takes so much time to like really hone in all those sounds and understand them. So I have so much respect for that. I did do a loop pedal once on tour and I tell you, it was the most terrifying part of the show every mm-hmm. night going up to that loop pedal, hoping I'd set it up right and hoping that it would work right. And I'd say like 90% of the time it was perfect. The other 10%, we had some moments, but um, yeah. you know, you 
that's part of live shows is you accept that, you know, as an artist, you'd be like, well, it can't be perfect every time. Like nothing can. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Do you use a lot of effects? Uh, I do. I'm a rock guy. Um, yeah. I, I actually toured with some, some party bands for a while where I was playing in bands that didn't have a keyboard player. So mm. if it wasn't a guitar sound, it was my job to cover it. So string sections and, uh, keyboard parts and synth parts and string patches and all this kind of crazy stuff. So yeah. And my project now is a, uh, is a three piece, basically a, a power trio. It's just electric violin, bass and drums, um, sort of a punk rock so cool. thing. And I play a six. Love string. it. Ooh, so. that is crazy. I've never played, I've like dabbled with a five dabbled. I, I usually just, I'm pretty straight up. I usually stick to like reverb on a clean sound and four strings so anyways i think that's so cool with like the six string is that really hard to get all the I way i have really over big hands so it's it's not a, it's not a big deal yeah. for me um mm -hmm. and it's a, it gives me the low range that i can cover all the guitar parts on the violin oh yeah so. it's so cool anyways that's awesome yeah thank you so <laughs> i guess the big thing is really for you has been authenticity and just being true to yourself and saying like, this is who I am and this is what I do. Sort of a, a like play and dance and write and produce and video. I, I can't think of anybody else who, who is, is really even attempted that whole package thing. <laughs> well, I think it's a, uh, it's interesting cause we all have the different parts of what we do that we love, you know? And, um, I think as long as you can do as much, like stay, how do I say this? If you can keep all the things you love close and do as much of them as you can and then learn to give away the parts that you don't love as much, that's when you're going to be the happiest as an artist. And sadly, I think the, not sadly, but I think the reason I do so much is because I, like I said before, I genuinely like all those things and they continuously bring me joy. And people ask me all the time, why do you, spend so much time editing your video still like you could totally hand that off to an editor and I'm like no 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 but you don't understand I love editing my videos and I would lose a piece of something I love if I just handed that off to somebody um and so I think that's that's basically why I do all the things that I do and um partially because I'm a I don't like the word control freak, but I just have a very specific vision as an artist. And it's so frustrating when you get something back, like someone arrives with your costume and you're like, ah, what is that? You know, uh, I'm really uncomfortable wearing that. So that's why I'm so involved in like from front to start everything. Cause you know, at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to put it out and you know, it's, I'm the one that has to stand up there in it or, you know, promote the video. So it better be something that from front to finish I'm, I love. Well, I love the fact that you, as a as an independent artist, have final say and control over those things. I, I remember reading that you you talked about maybe on your first tour you had an opening act that just wasn't respecting boundaries and like, well, I can't just kick him off. And they're like, no, you really can. This is this is your thing. You get to decide this. Right, and I think as a young artist, a lot of times people don't. Under, like, even if I did have a big label or, you know, a huge management company at the time, I think a lot of times young artists forget that it's still your life and you have a say over what rooms you're put in. And, you know, and it took that's a learning curve. Like I said, I didn't understand that. I was like, well, I can't just kick him off. And they're like, Lindsay, you're the boss. 
you can. And like owning that as a, as a young woman and a young starting artist was like, oh, I can. And so I think that's such an important thing that um, luckily I learned early because uh, I had good people around me. But, um, you know, and that's really important because women in music especially sometimes can very easily get taken advantage of in multiple ways in different situations, whether it's respect issues or safety or whatnot. Um, there are lines that can very easily be crossed and it's kind of, it can be scary. And so as a young artist, one of the most important things you can learn is that I have a say over what rooms I'm put in. I have a voice. I get to decide where I am comfortable and what I'm comfortable with in the world that is yours, like your tour, your, you know, your studio that, or the studio you get placed in, that is your world. And don't ever be afraid to stand up for yourself in those situations. Yeah. I know that you've got a very strongly held set of values and, and that you've, you've probably been asked to, to do things that don't line up with that. And there's just so much respect for you saying, no, this isn't what I do. This isn't who I am. This is, that's a line that I've drawn that I'm not going to cross. Now mm. I'm willing to be experimental and risky and, and step into uncomfortable spaces in some directions, but not in this direction. You know, I take the risks mm -hmm. that I want to take. I'm not taking the risks that you want me to take. Yes. Well said. I love that. And I, I can't agree more. Like that's honestly, I think the reason I'm still happy in music is because there were some lines and it's much to the way I was brought up. And again, also it's because um, I had good people around me in the beginning, thankfully. So grateful that I feel like God led me to good people that were on my first tour and that to this day are still with me. My, you know, my bandmates, my tour manager, my sound guy, same guys. We've just grown. Um, oh, wow. But uh, I'm so grateful. They've been with me for, you know, eight years now. And, uh, and it's because we treat each other like a family. And we have always been there for each other. But yeah, those there were just some lines early on that I drew that were non-crossable. And because of those lines, these guys have stuck around. And we have a very healthy tour family, you know, because there was just a culture that was set up from early on. And like I say, I don't take full credit for it. It was a team effort to create a culture. And it's a part of my management team now. It's a part of my tour team. And it's just the way I live my life. But it all came from there were strict boundaries and um you know and then there's that gray area where you get to decide where you're willing i love the way you said that yeah well thank you so much for doing this interview this has been really a, a treat for me and and uh i hope that our listeners really dig into this i can't imagine that there's anybody out there who doesn't know how to find you but uh, i guess tell people where to find you well, everyone, you can find me at Lindsay Sterling on most things. Um, come visit me on YouTube. That's probably my favorite place to share my art. So come find me, uh, Lindsay Sterling, on YouTube or on the Instagrams, all the things. Yeah, and then your Christmas show is going to be on YouTube or where's that going to be? Um, we are going to do it on, um, I think we're partnering with CID. And so it's going to be a special like one of those special ticketed platforms. And so it's oh, going to be awesome. a, a ticketed Christmas show. Um, I'm just, yeah, I can't wait to do it and share it. And uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. So everybody hook up your big screen and your surround sound and get the whole experience, right? Absolutely. 
And what should people be eating while they're watching this? We want this to be a multi-sensory experience. Oh, right. Well, actually, I'm going to be with everyone who purchased the ticket. There's like there's a little fun packet that comes with it of like my favorite holiday recipes, my favorite holiday craft. Um, so this is going to be as much of a like, you know, we I think everybody misses the experience. You know, for most of us, we think of going to the show, leaving your house, getting dressed up. So I hope that people will put on their coziest, cutest Christmas pajamas and then sit there and eat their favorite holiday snack. And if you don't have one, you can use mine and um, just make this, you know, make this a new kind of show. And uh, it's called the show is going to be called Home for the Holidays. Um, (laughs) And I hope that people feel joy in their homes as they watch it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, I am so grateful. You guys have always been so supportive of me and, you know, like helping me get some really cool violins for specific performances. And especially, I cannot wait for you guys to see what we do with uh, with the Viper. So, yay. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. It has been a crazy 2020 we're very much looking forward to a different and better 2021. We're going to take a little break for the holidays and we will be back next year with a bunch more rock stars. So in the meantime, go back and check out some of the over 50 artists we've interviewed so far. And we will see you on the flip side. Play loud, play proud.